0: Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. My name is Jared Longshore.
1: and My name is Tom Askell.
0: We thank you very much for listening in to The Sword and the Trowel. We're grateful. We're trying to figure out how many of you are out there, and we're not smart enough
1: yet to figure it out. However, we have been able to count up how many members there are in our families, and so we think we have at least 12 (laughs) listeners, right?
0: I don't know. I don't know that she's really listening, (laughs) you know, so we'll see. Um, Well, we want to get into it today, and we like to begin in our first segment dealing with something going on in the world around us and trying to think biblically about it, and we want to talk today about the wicked lawmakers in New York that have established an abomination to god that you can now kill your baby
1: anytime you want governor Kumo is crazy sick he he is facing a day of judgment that will be horrific if he does not repent This is tragic, what happened over the last week when this law was signed by him and celebrated by people with applause. If you heard that clip that went out over the internet, it is a commentary on where we are as a culture.
0: Not only have they established that you can murder your baby whenever you want, but they have repealed a law that was protecting a botched abortion, protecting the baby, Uh, That is the result of a botched abortion. Tony Perkins, president of Family Research Council, uh, was asked if this means that uh, babies that um, are not murdered when people try to murder them and then come out of the womb, if they'll be left to die. And he answered yes, yes. He said, this law guarantees it, sweeping away a large chunk of the penal codes that protected abortion survivors. Thanks to this act, Kermit Gosnell and his blood-stained, cat-infested, third-world excuse for a clinic would be untouchable.
1: Yeah, I, I wondered if Kumo was just thinking, hey, you know, Kermit Gosnell, hold my beer.
0: Yeah, hold my beer. This is an abomination to God. This is the greatest injustice of our time, and it's ridiculous that we want to talk about other kinds of injustice but not deal honestly with what the Word of God says
1: about murder, especially murder of children in the womb. Yeah, I think we become numbed as a culture, and even as evangelical Christians in this culture, to just what is going on, and the atrocities that uh, are occurring daily Legally and with medical approval. I I mean, imagine what would happen if we could bring Christians from 200 years ago back for one day and just let Mm -hmm. them cite the, look at the news and respond to it. We we would be embarrassed, I think, or else we wouldn't be able to comprehend their shock and dismay. Uh, Did you see this, uh, Dr. Hamada? who came out, he mm-hmm. is a board-certified OBGYN, said he's delivered over 2,500 babies, and he made it very clear there's not a single fetal or maternal condition that requires third-trimester abortion, not one. Delivery? Yes. Abortion? No. And this idea that the mother's health, that becomes the umbrella mm-hmm. a statement. It's not a medical condition necessarily. It can be an emotional condition, a mental condition. It can become a desire that this will not be good for me if I have this baby and I'm scheduled to deliver in 20 minutes. So let me abort.
0: Yeah. So let us be clear. We are calling upon Governor Andrew Kumo to repent of his sin. You are established by God as the civil magistrate. And what you've done is an abomination to him in judgment will come and it will come swiftly. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And all of the lawmakers that establish the murder of these innocents, you should be ashamed of yourselves. You need to repent and come to Christ. Jesus Christ is a great Savior for great sinners. We want to be very clear that this is the world God's called us to live in. We want to be faithful representatives of him. And part of that means speaking to these authorities that have been established by God that are absolutely
1: rebelling against him. And I want to just say a word to my fellow pastors, brothers, we cannot afford to ignore these things, let them go, not talk about them, not preach about them, not pray about them, not call upon our churches to wake up and take note of what we are living in right now and address these things, Uh, write your legislators, call them, go to them, make them aware of your uh, deep displeasure, your unwillingness to tolerate this type of culture of death that is being promoted. You know, the,
0: try to help us think well about this, Tom. The video that went out of the applause is sickening. My wife said she couldn't watch it. She kind of saw it playing, but couldn't listen to it and go through with it. Um, we need to have our eyes wide open to what's going on. Uh, I am convinced that this kind of activity is the fruit of a false religion there is worship of false gods that's going on in romans 1 people turn from worshiping the creator to worshiping the creature and god gives them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done and it seems crystal clear to me that that's what we're dealing with and until we face up and see that this is what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with the rise of the nuns. Do you think that these
1: people that are slaughtering children are not religious? Yeah, they're very religious. They're just as religious as the Canaanites were in the Old Testament who offered up their children to the god Moloch. And Moloch has nothing on the United States today. Mm-hmm. We're, we're watch, watching the rise of the the... <laughs> groundswell and overwhelming, sweeping uh, victory of Molochism in our culture. Mm. Uh, You've got an article that's out on
0: founders.org about this. What would you say in view of what's happened recently in New York to uh, those who are passionate about social justice within the evangelical world?
1: Well, one of the things that's frustrated me is whenever uh, some of those who are banging the drum loudly for various is- issues under the umbrella of social justice is they don't want to be distracted by abortion. And so whenever you bring up abortion, it's it's well, why are you saying that? Why don't you care about the poor? Or why don't you care about women or why don't you care about mm-hmm. uh, the sexual minorities or why don't you care about racial minorities? And all of those things, you, we can have a conversation about any one of them, but how in the world can we have a conversation about them when we're standing on a pile of dead babies? The
0: bloody children.
1: Six, Sixty million children have been legally murdered in this nation since 1973, and it grieves me. I don't. It's hard for me to believe somebody really cares about justice,
0: mm-hmm.
1: justice in the world whenever we can just ignore that or pretend like we can talk about justice without making this the priority.
0: Yeah. You want to talk to me about why there's more male CEOs in organizations than women while women are being slaughtered left and right.
1: Or you want to talk to me about racial discrimination and not talk about abortion when one third of all the aborted babies in this nation are racial minorities. Yeah. Well- Praise God that some people want to talk about justice. Let's just really do it. Yeah, talk about real justice, biblical justice, and not be selective in it and not use the cause of justice to promote our own little pet issue.
0: Hey, part two where we like to talk about A book that we have enjoyed, and today we want to talk about a book called The Lordship of Christ. The subtitle is Serving Our Savior All of the Time, in All of Life, with All of Our Heart. Vern S. Poitras has written this book, and I had to ask somebody recently how you say his last name, and I was surprised to know it's Poitras. Uh, He's a PhD from Harvard University and uh, is a professor of New Testament interpretation at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And um, Dr. Poitras has done a wonderful job in this book of laying out a vision of the Lordship of Christ. He breaks it down into parts. There's a call to serve Christ, and there's resources for serving Christ. He deals with areas of service like politics, science, Art, education, and work, and then charts out some traps to uh, avoid in our service of Christ. He even has a little appendix on two kingdoms theology, which is very helpful because he, you know, he says there's different dimensions that we need to think about when we consider the lordship of Christ. So he gets into Abraham Kuyper a little bit uh, in this work, but I, I think it was just a good introduction into thinking about the Lordship of Christ. We've talked about this a lot, Tom, recently, uh, that it seems this, this has been lost. There's kind of a, a shrinking back from society into some kind of pietism. We just think me and the walls of my church, and we're just going to double down here. Uh, another book that's kind of put me onto these themes was Rod Dreher's The Benedict Option which has been called by some, a good work, lots of good there, but it can have this retreat into our own commitment kind of thing rather than Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, no, Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And um, we're seeing kind of the crumbling of uh, many of our biblical foundations right now in our present society. So I, I think this is a good book to read and get us thinking about what it means that Jesus really is Lord.
1: Yeah, I think the danger of Dreher's approach is that it can become monastic, you know, which is the foundation of his argument in some ways, and that we just withdraw, we do our own thing, we wait for the Dark Ages to uh, pass by us, and then after the Dark Ages we will have in our little enclaves uh, those places of light that can reemerge. And I don't think it's an either-or option. I think that, yeah, we need to do what God's called us to do in our families, in our churches, uh, where we can educationally, in our schools, communities. But uh, we need to be out in the world that God's placed us in, too. And that's going to involve conflict. It's going to involve risk. And it has been that way for God's people throughout history. So we shouldn't be uh, overwhelmed or surprised whenever the world comes against us strongly when we stand for Christ.
0: That's right. I really liked the section in this book. I, I think if we were to nail our colors to the mat here, we're probably come. We're more pietistic than we are, you know, getting out there uh, in society. And yet, I'm challenged by Baptist convictions to say that we need to learn some things here. That there is a way to uh, emphasize the church and then say, you know, what the church is to go and to declare this message. But there certainly are traps that come, there's pitfalls that come when you begin to think about the Lordship of Christ and try to apply it uh, in, in your life, in the life of your church. And um, Dr. Poitras does a great job of marking some of those traps. He talks about pride. Oh, well, here we are. We're really living for Christ in the world. We know we're, we're out here writing books and we're out here establishing schools and we're doing all this stuff. And look at all these other Christians that aren't doing all that we are doing um, he warns about the trap of building the kingdom of God. He says some Christians like to think that they are building the kingdom of God. And I was glad to hear him say, you know what, it's God who establishes his kingdom. Uh, it really was back to De Young's book. De young has got a book with another guy uh, on this about the kingdom of God that really strikes the same tone. Rashness and haste, he says. This can be a trap in our uh, labors for Christ in the world. Despair. You just think, oh, man, here we are going about all this work and nothing's being accomplished and you can fall into despair. Beware of that. Timidity, uh, fear of man and he gets into passive piety. Beware of this um, as well as another trap. So, um, There's a lot good in this book and we would recommend that you take up and read.
1: We are looking at the Ten Commandments as recorded in Exodus 20 and considering how they were revealed before Mount Sinai as recorded on Exodus 20. So today we come to the Sixth Commandment, Exodus 20:13, that says you shall not murder. Was murder wrong before God spoke on Sinai, you shall not murder?
0: Yeah, it was. We better hope it. I hope it was if you were living back then. And uh, this is the eternal moral law of God that is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Uh, and yet God is God, and his law is unchanging, and it was written on people's hearts before. And we see people transgressing God's law and suffering the due punishment for their sins prior to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Certainly one place that we see this is in... Cain's murdering of his brother
1: Abel Um, how did Cain murder Abel I would tell you how Cain was murdered if I was able (laughs) you can cut that out let the (laughs) silence
0: let the silence let it sit for everyone let it sit and let let all know however many subscribers we have that this is the punishment that I must endure in Pastor Tom in my relationship with Pastor Tom. Those those that joke I have so it, few of it them. has to be from like like the nineteen thirties and it wasn't
1: good then. There was a period for about six months when people <laughs> laughed at that joke.
0: Oh boy. I love it. Um we're definitely gonna let that play. And uh, don't cut that out, Hannah. So in um we see Cain kill his brother Abel. And then he is punished for that. And this is a sign that uh, murder was sinful prior to Sinai. We also um, see after the flood, God declaring to Noah the punishment for breaking the sixth commandment. Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Uh, Is that a good principle, Tom?
1: Yeah, I think it is. Uh, Obviously the, Uh, Argument for capital punishment is complex, and the ways that capital punishment is executed in different societies uh, leaves lots of room for debate and argument as to whether or not it is justly applied. But there's no doubt that this passage uh, demonstrates from uh, 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 a transcendent basis that being an image bearer of God whenever one is murdered – it's an attack upon the god whose image that murdered one bears right um, we have fallen far from this standard
0: and it's hard for us to even think about it and um, envision it being reasserted and applied in our land i re- i did a study a couple years back when i thought about all the cool the school shootings that are going on mm. and all of the murder that occurs in our land just of how many executions there are and it was it was unfathomably low compared to the amount of murder that occurs in our nation. And as we just talked about previously in this podcast, the slaughter of the unborn that is done, uh, certainly that's related to the way that we're thinking about the punishment for murder, the way that we're thinking about the image of God. Um, We really need to wake up to how far we have fallen from God's Word. Amen. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, You can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org.